Hello and welcome to Shattered Lives, an informed, conversational, cutting-edge radio show in touch with today's issues that impact the lives of crime, addressing the aftermath of crime, forging a path for hope, building awareness, and empowering listeners for the future. This is Donna Argor, a.k.a. Lady Justice, your host, with my co-host Delilah Jones, president of ImaginePublicity.com, welcoming you to today's show and to our library of weekly archived shows, and it is our goal to make a difference. And uh, so good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you happen to be listening to this show. And yes, indeed, it is our goal to make a difference, and welcome to this Saturday episode. And I have to let you know that I'm flying the plane solo today, so hang on. Hopefully it won't be a bumpy ride. Um, Delilah cannot be with us, but I think she is doing something crime-related. So we, uh, again, wish her well, and I know that she will be listening to the show afterwards with special interest. Um, Today we have um, a very unique show, um, perhaps controversial, perhaps provocative on its face, because when people look at what this is without going deeper it may be somewhat scary. It may be a turnoff. Um, people may run the other way, but but hey, um, many times good things are born out of uh, provocative ideas, and that is what we're presenting here today. We have um, Joe Eaton, who is who is from uh, Ohio, and he is um, affiliated with um, uh, an organization called. Uh, Faster Saves Lives, which is a nonprofit, and this organization is designed to provide school administrators and teachers with the education with regard to active shooter training and provide immediate emergency, uh, emergency medical assistance prior to when the police and law enforcement get there in an attempt to save lives. It is not a Wild West shoot-em-up um, type of um, environment, but I think that's what people people um, envision. Um, I think it was born out of the Sandy Hook Newtown tragedy here in Connecticut and unfortunately has not been well received by our governor, I think because of lack of research and lack of education. So that's our goal today. So without further ado, Joe Eaton, Thank you very much for being with us, and welcome to the show. Welcome to Shattered Lives Family. Oh, Donna, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for having us on. Well, uh, we I have been anticipating this show for um, a long time, and I think it is our job, um, you know, on this show, because we deal with the aftermath of crime, to present many, many points of view, and sometimes controversial, like I said. And I try to keep an open mind, and that's what I'm hoping our audience will. Um, for, first of all, uh, can you give us a little bit of background on you personally, what your, your background credentials are, and how you got involved in this, and then we can kind of jump into it? Uh, certainly. I've been, uh, been involved in uh, Second Amendment rights and in uh, uh, firearm safety for probably almost two decades now, uh, Spent a lot of time lobbying for legislation which will 
expand and and protect the rights of of lawful people to own firearms here in Ohio, whether that is for hunting purposes, whether it's for collecting or self-defense through the Buckeye Firearms Association. Uh, It was around 2008 we saw a need to provide educational type of training, uh, mainly youth firearm safety training, youth hunting type of training, And in 2008, we started the Buckeye Firearms Foundation, which is a 501c3 uh, nonprofit educational charity. Uh, Outside of that, I have uh, spent uh, uh, just about 15 years as an Ohio hunter education instructor. I've had my firearm and uh, personal protection credentials through the National Rifle Association uh, going back almost two decades also and have been very involved in the educational and safety side of the firearms industry for for almost 20 years now. Are you are you in law enforcement for your paid job so to speak? Uh I am not. I'm just a father and a husband that lives in uh Southwest Ohio. Uh work for a a facility maintenance company. The second amendment and the safety aspect of it is just a uh a, a passion for me. And I enjoy the educational opportunities and the ability to come on with people like you who want more good, useful information out there. Because, unfortunately, the firearms debate is a very emotional debate. And a lot of times people put up, they put up walls that really help keep the, the commonality out of it. And that's something that, that I really work hard and uh, try to break through is, you know, we all want the same things for our families out there. We want safe productive societies for us to raise our kids and to raise our families and enjoy our lives in. Right. Well, the um, elephant in the room, so to speak, is that I'm sure as people are listening to this that are not informed or maybe, um, you know, have a little narrower scope, even in my home state of Connecticut, where the, the biggest massacre after 9-11 occurred um, prior to Orlando, and I think it's very timely that we have the show now, Joe, is that, you know, Governor Dan Malloy was a, uh, you know, spearheaded many, many good initiatives with regard to uh, safety. And in an, in an article that I have here from the Harvard Current back in February of 2016, where an um, um, a, a reporter uh, quotes a, a very small town in Connecticut by the name of Kent was inquiring about your program, and I understand it's totally no, no cost to school systems. Uh, this article Correct. is quoting uh, and is saying, um, well, the program would also allow volunteers to carry weapons at schools. It, it offers 26 hours of training during a three-day uh, class in Ohio. Um, Governor Malloy says this is not about school safety. Adding it deserves the worst idea award. This this uh, this would make schools less safe. He goes on to say that um, he has no problem with schools that want to hire armed law enforcement personnel or school guards to undergo extensive training, but in essence, it is vigilante activity. If 26 hours is enough, why do we train our police officers for months and months? So I think that's the crux of the matter. Perhaps our governor and other people are thinking this is kind of a fly-by-night 
course, and anybody and everybody can qualify to carry a gun in a school, which I think is it's very far from the truth. Is that not true? Well, that's right. I'm sure your governor has done a lot of a lot of good things in there, but it's it's unfortunate that he has chose not to get more educated about what this program is about and what the the options are out there. And even yourself, you have mentioned a couple of times that this may be controversial, and and. It is not so. The safety of our students and doing everything we can to keep our school children safe is not a controversial issue. And there's no other emergency that we prepare for out there where we rely solely on outside help to keep our kids safe and keep them alive. If we have an accident at a pool and a child falls into a pool, we don't simply dial 911 and stand around and wait for help to get there. We jump in the pool, we pull the kid from the bottom of the pool, and we hope someone around is trained in CPR to start saving that child's life. It's the same thing with heart attacks. If somebody in your business, your school, your church, your community has a heart problem, we don't simply dial 911 and stand around hoping help gets there in time to save their lives. No, we start CPR. We look to see if there's an AED around that we can start saving those lives while we're waiting on the professionals to get there. And that's exactly what this Faster Saves Lives program does. It was, as you mentioned, uh, so developed. So essentially it's filling a gap, right? It's filling a time gap with, you know, you're, you're, you're providing skills, training, and, and in an acute response period before other people can arrive. That's, that's exactly right. If you look at the history of any of these mass killings that have happened, the vast majority of them are over with and done with before law enforcement can get there. And the law enforcement in Sandy Hook community, I applaud them. We cannot ask for a better outside response than we saw at the Sandy Hook Elementary School. If you look, and don't take my word for it, the Attorney General's report from the state shows these exact timelines that once the 911 call was made, your 911 dispatcher turned that around in 27 seconds from the time she picked up the phone until she dispatched help to that school building. That's a phenomenal performance by that 911 operator, and they need commended for those actions. Beyond that, wow. it was less than three minutes from the time they were dispatched, the first police officer arrived in the parking lot at Sandy Hook Elementary School. And in three minutes and 17 seconds, we had two additional officers, so a total of three officers sitting in that parking lot. The fortunate reality is we will never get a better response rate from outside than we will at Sandy Hook, and unfortunately we lost 20 babies on that day while we were waiting for outside help to get there. That's not acceptable. So it's your contention that if, if we have people who are trained on the inside that can do that, even with the stellar performance from people associated with Sandy Hook, we could, we could do better and we could save lives. Well, why, certainly. If you're waiting on outside help, you're simply admitting that up to 20 dead children is an acceptable outcome for one of these situations in my school district. In my opinion, that's not an acceptable outcome. We're fortunate or unfortunate, depending on how you look at it. There are three national recognized experts on school violence, on mass killing, on teenage killers here in Ohio. And we went to them and asked, what can we do to limit? You will never stop this, especially if it's an outside threat, such as we saw at Sandy Hook. You will never be able to stop all of this ahead of time. But what can we do to limit the number of casualties after one of these events start? And 
All three of them simply said time is the only thing that matters. You have to have somebody in that school, that business, that church, that nightclub, who has the school skills and the training to immediately stop the killing. And then the huge part of our training program is the crisis management and the medical skills after that so that we can start saving lives while we're still waiting on the outside people to get there. Sandy Hook, okay. unfortunately, well, is another great example. Mm-hmm. It, it the certainly is. Medical, I think it started the ball rolling. Go ahead. Yeah, it is, and you know that's what you don't look at is even once the police arrived in this, they still had medical personnel staging up down the street. Uh, it was even minutes and minutes and minutes longer. I think the the police reports show it was up to 45 minutes before the first medical aid entered that building and started saving lives. And that's something that every school, every business, every church out there can put in place and take care of themselves. And the unfortunate reality is firearms have to be part of that stopping the killing solution. There are some times when simply an authoritative figure can stop this. There are some times when simply addressing in a calm, loving manner, do the person that's committing this killing know what they're doing is enough to stop the killing and to have them stop the event. Other times that's not enough. And you know, we in every school, every business out there we have, you have people such as Mary Sherlock or Don Huxprong. When that event comes to their school, these people are going to that event, and they're going to stand between these murderers and these children. And the unfortunate reality is right now they have no other option except to die and become another victim. And as a society, if we have loving teachers and staff that are going to go there and stand between these murderers and our school children, we owe them the right to decide what they're going to have, what training, what tools, what abilities they're going to have when they show up at that point. Absolutely. Well, let's back up just a little bit so we can um, frame. Um, to, to, let's talk about what what FASTER means. And I know that it, it evolved out of the Sandy Hook response, but how did, how did you know how to go uh, create a foundation or work with Buckeye versus trying to get a federal grant or something. How did this actually evolve, this organization, and so that it would be no cost to schools and, you know, sort of the framework of this? Sure. Uh, you're right. It was within two weeks of the tragedy at Sandy Hook. We were invited to a town hall meeting to discuss this tragedy once again uh, in Columbus, Ohio. The board of directors for the foundation said this is absolutely insanity. Every time an event happens, we're called in, we say our side, the anti-gun people come in and say their side, and everybody thinks they made a difference. We were not going to simply do that. We wanted to make a difference. Uh, we went to one of the foremost experts on uh, training school personnel for active killer situations, Mr. John Venner at Tactical Defense Institute, who was the lead trainer for, I believe it was almost 15 years for the National School Resource Officers doing this type of active killer training for the police officers that are in communities. And he had said all along, we're training the wrong people. These police officers want to help. They want to be there, but the reality is they are not there when you need them, that we need to be training willing and competent and trusted school staff with these skills. So that is what our foundation committed to do. 
We know budgets are a problem for school systems, and we never want a school board to have to look at a budget and say, am I laying off my school resource officer? Am I sending the police department back to traffic duty, or am I hiring another English teacher? And that's why our foundation is committed to providing this training at no charge to the schools for as long as we have the ability to do it. Do you, do you feel as if, um, you know, the, the people who are backing this, the Buckeye Firearms, is that part of the issue as soon as people, uh, say people who are not living in uh, a culture such as New England that are used to people carrying firearms as they are in the South, and do they look at that and say, oh, my God, well, well that's got to be a, a vigilante group? You know, if they are, again, it goes back to the educational part of it. They've got to fully understand this problem. And by all means, if somebody has a better solution out there than what we're doing, our foundation would love to start funding that better solution. But when you talk to the experts, and expert after expert after expert says you have to do this, you have to have somebody in the building with the skills, the training, and the tools to immediately stop the killing and then you have to have people in the actual building with the medical skills to immediately start saving lives. That is the only way that we limit the number of casualties. Police are coming. They're on their way, but that's just the problem is they can't be there when you need them there. We need somebody in the schools and in the businesses and church that can save, keep these people alive until the professionals get there, and that's what the Faster Saves Lives program does. Mm. How about with regard to the scope of – Say that you you procure someone's interest. What's the scope mm-hmm. of interest if people? I know that you go to uh, to, to boards of education. Uh, you talk to to school board administrators. Um, where have you presented, or where uh, have you gone to uh, besides Ohio? And we will we will get into what the the laws say there because you're very innovative with that. But where where have you gotten a receptive audience, and what kind of, of people have been receptive? Well, you know, our main focus, of course, is Ohio because selfishly that's where our foundation is based, and that's where we're going to spend the majority of our money uh, because we have limited funds. All of the funding for this program has come from individual donations. None of this has come from outside businesses or resources at this point in time. But to date, in our first three years of this, we have trained staff from 152 different school districts, and the vast majority of them in Ohio, but we have had school staff come from six different states. I know we have had staff from all of the states which surround Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, Pennsylvania. Uh, We've had them from Tennessee. We've had them from Illinois. We have had them from Colorado. And, in fact, this year we have a school district from Oklahoma who is coming in to participate in this training. Uh, Just this past three days we had our first class of 2016, and we had another school staff member from Pennsylvania who came in and uh, took the training uh, going back because they, as you said, laws differ from state to state. They still have some work to do in the Pennsylvania legislature to get their laws corrected. But it's it's not – It's not a unique or a controversial issue, as I said. Finding the way to keep our kids safe and to protect lives is something every parent and every school district has to put at the top. And if there's a school district out there that is not looking at every option and considering every option and investigating every option, 
they're doing a huge disservice to their 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 community and to their students. Mhm. Let's let's talk about sort of the framework of actually what the program consists of and I understand that there are sure. there are different levels of of training as well. Let's kind of go go through it. I know there's armed response, crisis management, emergency medical aid. Um can you can you kind of elaborate on those areas and what they are? I, I certainly can. And you know, we we have over the past 3 years what started off as a three and a half day training program for 25 educators in Ohio has now expanded into a three-year curriculum that we're providing, as I said, to school districts anywhere in the state who wa- United States who wants to come in for this. Our first level one training, which we do, is the first training that we actually uh, fund for the schools. Again, the Buckeye Firearms Foundation doesn't do this training. We hire world-class trainers that actually do the training. Our foundation just pays for it so it's at no cost to the schools. But they spend three and a half days of, first off, starting off with the history and the expectations and what we have seen in past active killer events in schools and outside of schools. Uh, We help them understand what has changed in law enforcement response, what has changed in other things that we have learned from these situations. You know, uh, Columbine High School was a game changer where we thought that, you know, we had getting police to understand these situations. These aren't hostage. These aren't barricade. These aren't your standard put up a perimeter around and call in the negotiators type of of events. All of these killers want to do is get as many casualties as they can in as little of time before they are confronted. And if you see, and that's the outrageous thing about Orlando, is we had people inside of that nightclub, inside of that, that place for three hours begging somebody to come and help them while police were outside of that that venue all you're doing in those situations in these active killer events is giving the killers more time to get more casualties and to better fortify their positions before police come in we have to have an immediate response inside the building so we we cover Mm -hmm. a lot of that history and help them understand the the changes over the years Firearms are a big part of this training skill because, again, as we said, we don't want a solution to stop this killing which works some of the time or may work here. We want something that works every time. And we see this every call to 911 is to bring trained people with firearms to that location. All we are doing is cutting down that timeline, which may be very good, such as we saw at Sandy Hook of just over three minutes or in some school districts, it could be a half hour, it could be 45 minutes before law enforcement's able to get there. The medical skills are a huge part of this training. We teach them the skills that they need to save lives from the injuries they're most likely to see in these type of active killer events, which are severe bleeding, puncture wounds to the chest, or airway problems breathing. But the neat thing is, is these type of skills are something every school system should already have because they may have an auto accident or a bus accident or a severe weather or severe sports injury which causes these type of injuries. It could be even an accident in their kitchen or their chemistry or one of their other labs that causes these type of events, and they need this very simple, very specialized training to save lives in those, those situations. The last thing that we do, because such as your governor alluded to, is we've heard that argument since the very beginning. Well, law enforcement is the only ones that are qualified to carry a firearm in the school. So 
part of the Faster Saves Lives program is every teacher administrator who completes our training shoots the Ohio Police Officers Training Academy's Police Qualification Course of Fire, the exact same course of fire that every police officer in Ohio is required to pass every single year. But that's not good enough for the environment that these teachers are in. Police officers are not in generally in an environment with this many innocent victims around all the time. So we took this standard course of fire, which is a 25-round course of fire. We added in three additional, one additional round, which is three additional shots for a total of 28 shots in the total course of fire. We also took the qualification threshold. Ohio police officers are allowed to miss 20% of their shots and still pass the qualification which is an 80% pass rate, that's simply not good enough for a school environment. We hold the pass-fail rate to just over 93%. They're only allowed to miss two shots out of the 28 and still pass the qualification. So the fact that your governor is says that police are the only... That, is this with, you know, uh, I don't know the vernacular, so excuse me, but with, uh, and I would ask you what kind of firearms you're, you're using for people mm-hmm. in schools, especially if they've never been exposed, but is this a gun that, well, it's not like an automatic weapon kind of thing, it's single shot kind of thing, and so you're only allowed to to miss, you know, or you, you need to hit your target 80% of the time, regardless of what the, what the weapon used? All of this training is done with handguns uh, because, again, those are the firearms that the school staff will most likely be, be carrying and using in their, in their course of their days. And, again, the 80% is what Ohio police officers are allowed. We, we require them to pass it at over 93%. So, again, they choose okay. their firearms. We have some recommendations that we have found have worked well for most of the staff. Uh, they are handguns, again, Every handgun that is out there is all semi-automatic firearms. They are just like the revolvers back in the uh, ancient cowboy days. They only, every time you press the trigger, they fire one bullet. The There are no automatic firearms that are available to anyone in the United States, except for in very, very rare and expensive instances, despite what the media tries to tell us. Uh, it is simply misinformation. All of the firearms that are out there in uh, in use and um, the ones that are used in these horrific events by the murderers are all, I have to press the trigger one time and I get one shot. I have to press the trigger again to get another shot, just like the revolvers that, that uh, your daddy used back on the farm 20, 50, 60 years ago. Well, how do, um, with the case of Orlando and, and uh, um, Sandy Hook, where, where they are using this firepower with magazines that fire bullet after bullet after bullet. How is someone supposed to, you know, um, get get off a shot and, and, and be accurate enough? I mean, it doesn't seem like the, the firepower is equivalent. If they're using these guns that fire bullet after bullet and you're there where you have to, I don't know if you have to cock the trigger, trigger every Every time for for the bullet, how do you how those, do you, those uh, people in Orlando that? and Sandy Hook ha- have the same disadvantage? They have to press the trigger every time to fire a bullet. Uh, it is no different than the than the firearms that the school staff are carrying. The other huge advantage the school staff has is 
The people committing these acts are generally cowards. They commit these acts in areas where they know or assume there is no effective resistance. And 90% of them commit suicide or give up as soon as some type of effective resistance presents itself. Sometimes, as I said, that's simply a, a school me staff member who is an authority in that person's eye telling them to stop. Other times, they don't stop until they are confronted by somebody with the, the means to stop them or take them their own lives. The, the uh, other advantage that the school staff has is, again, these people are not looking for a fight. They are simply looking to murder as many people as possible, and with simple training and tactics, the school staff are able to defeat these people because they are focused on their task, which is simply murdering as many people as possible. And your concerns are valid concerns. All of the school staff who come through this have these concerns. But again, that's part of the FASTER program where we spend this time developing these firearm skills. We spend the time developing the tactics. And then the last part of it is we put them into force-on-force -force decision-making skills where we have them in scenarios with other teachers shooting back at them with uh, uh, practice rounds which hit and do give uh, a minimal amount of pain correction if you make mistakes and we let these teachers see that their skills that they're training that the tactics we're teaching them allow them to be successful in these situations they may find themselves in and that's the powerful part is when they start trusting themselves they start trusting their training and they start trusting their tools and the light bulb comes on that yes in fact they can do something besides become a victim while they're waiting for outside help wow so you're you're actually saying though with regard to this 26 hours it is in terms of the amount of training that because of the intensity and in what you do that is sufficient and is that only the the first level and then they can also go on to other levels of training that is despite what is a common misconception is the majority when when these teachers or we will provide this to law enforcement or we will provide this training to school resource officers when they finish even the first uh first three and a half days of training at faster our level one they generally are the subject matter experts in their communities, in their police departments, on this specific of violence. Unless a police department has specifically searched out training for active killers in this type of violence, they don't get this type of training or don't get to understand this situation. You know, your, your governor again mentioned the, the months and months of training that we provide to police officers. And, yes, that's because we have to teach those police officers about the state laws. We have to teach those police officers how to drive a car in high-speed pursuit. We have to teach those police officers how to fill out the paperwork that we're required. We have to teach those police officers all this administrative stuff and I know in Ohio, and I'm sure that your state is not uh, considerably different, the actual amount of firearms training that they have is generally only about eight hours out of this entire month-long month -long training that they have to go through. And that's just the wow. unfortunate reality. That, wow, that's, that's incredible. It, this is very valuable information. Um, it, can we just be clear that, I know this is targeted toward the school system, but as we're talking, we're, we're mentioning, well, this happened in a nightclub. This happened in a movie theater. 
is this program designed to have the flexibility to um, utilize this in, in any environment? Oh, without a doubt. These teachers can use this skill. We simply are funding it for the school environment because that is where our focus is. We, we are limited on funds because, again, all of this is private donations. To date, there has been no business that is supporting this. There has been no government funds supporting this. All of it is individuals who understand the problem and want to make a difference on it. And, you know, we have been approached by lots of churches and businesses to provide this to them, but it's simply a funding issue. Each one of these classes that, that we put out, uh, we have eight of them scheduled for 2016, and our foundation spends just shy of $25,000 on each of the classes for the group of teachers to, to go through this training. And, you know, the unfortunate reality is we would love to provide this to churches and businesses, but our focus from the money and from a time standpoint is going to stay in the school environment uh, for at least the short term. What about philanthropic organization, you know, uh, billion, uh, you know, a uh, Bill Gates, uh, the NRA. I mean, have have there been, you know, corporate um, response to this who, um, you know, are interested in this or not now or you just don't have the time You know, to that pursue. is something that we are just, just starting this year. Uh, unfortunately, the first three years of this were so overwhelming, getting the program in place, getting the school staff trained up and proving the track record that this program works, proving the track record that the foundation is able to support this and to keep this going. And so that is my focus for 2016 and beyond is to start finding some type of sustainable support for this type of program from you know, the, the firearms industry, from the local business communities, from our medical fields, from philanthropic groups, as you mentioned. Uh, the unfortunate reality is we started this off as a proof of concept class for 24 school administrators. Within two months of asking for school administrators to sign up, we had a list of over 3,000 school staff that wanted this training. And uh, if you, wow. even with my public school education, I'm doing the math. Right? Uh, is it is the vast majority of them, but but we had uh, we have as as I mentioned earlier have stuff from all over the United States, and a lot of other states well are already permitting schools to have armed staff in there. Utah, anyone with a concealed handgun license can already carry in a school without any other need. Texas is similar to Ohio; they can authorize certain people to carry in their school districts. Pennsylvania, unfortunately, is is an exception where their law does not specifically allow the carry a, the authorization of school staff to carry in theirs, but we have a county in Pennsylvania which looked at the law, and there is an exception which says unless they are permitted otherwise, that county prosecutor has written a letter to all of the school districts in that county saying, it is my opinion if the school board permits the carry of firearms by staff, that meets the requirements for the state law in my county, and I will not be prosecuting any school who chooses to allow this. So, you know, there there are schools out there and there are other people out there that are taking this seriously and finding every way that they can to make sure these schools are safe. Well, just so that we get a visual, visualization of this, and I did put up a couple of videos that were on YouTube regarding this, but when we're talking about they, they, you know, have the authority to carry, 
and because I'm from where I'm from and I'm not from a, necessarily a gun pro state, um, does that mean that they they wear they wear the the gun on their belt but it is concealed, or is it is it in the bottom drawer of their desk that they can pull it out at a minute's notice, or where, is it locked? It's not locked up in a safe. What is the, the, the down-dirty practicality of this? You have an active shooter coming in here. Do they just reach on their, on their belt and it's there and it is only maybe three people in the entire uh, uh, school system that have these? I mean, what's sort of the ratio and, and what's the picture of this when you, get, when you look at, like, one school system? Sure. And, you know, this, this evolves, and in Ohio, it is local control. Each school system gets to decide what works for them. Uh, the vast majority of them have the school staff carry them concealed on their persons because that is simply the quickest way to guarantee they have access to it. We did have several school systems who started off by putting them in the quick access safes throughout the school building. And that is how they were comfortable starting. Uh, they did, after a year or so, and doing more training and talking to their school staff, they have moved away from that because the school principal simply said, if this happens in my office, there is no way I could turn around and leave my staff there being murdered to go get my firearm and come back with it. He said, in that situation, I would be right in the middle of it, and the unfortunate reality is, is I would be another victim because my firearm is locked up in a safe somewhere besides where I am. So a lot of them have moved, again, instead of the locked up in the safes, they are letting the staff and having the staff carry them on their person because, again, that cuts down the timeline, that saves more lives in all of these situations. And that's exactly what we're looking to do. Um, you know, again, how many are in each building? We've seen a, uh, a progression of this. You know, some of them will say, well, we'll start with one or two trusted administrators or or teachers and once they implement it and start training and start looking at this they realize that you know if I have six buildings on my campus with 32 entrances in it you know two people somewhere on campus is not good enough that still provides the opportunity for more casualties than we are willing to accept and so they always come back and expand the program uh, you know everybody mm -hmm. likes anecdotes we had a situation in Ohio it was in the very northeastern Ohio where they were two weeks from an active killer event in their school when one of the parents saw an email which did not sound right to them. She turned the, their son's email over to the police department, and the police started their investigation and found there were two students from the school putting together this plan. They had made it to the point where they had started acquiring the weapons, and they were arguing back and forth on whether they should kill the people in the school or if they should take them to a ravine behind the school so they could torture them before they killed them. That is the type of thought process these kids were putting into it. This school system had a teacher who was a former resource officer in the school with the sheriff's department. When they hired him back to teach, he continued carrying his firearm every single day like he had as a school resource officer. The reality is, is the very first step in these kids' very detailed plan was, I'm going to shoot Matt and Matt was the school resource officer who was the one they knew was armed in the building. We saw that at Orlando. If you have blatantly armed security there, they are the first target, and like it or not, anyone can be ambushed and defeated. 
And truthfully, it is a harrowing experience when you're standing there talking to a school teacher who is saying, I was within two weeks of lying dead in my school while other ki- while these murderers killed my other coworkers and, and, and students. And that is an eye-opening experience. Uh, the nice thing is is that the, those kids did not know at that time there was two other people who were armed concealed in that district, so there would have been immediate or timely response to it. Uh, needless to say, since that time, that school district has greatly expanded the number of armed staff that they have in their safety program, and that's the way the system so did- works. Wow, I'm just you know overwhelmed by by the uh, degree of information that you're offering, and I, I think it's just it's very eye opening. And um, I'm just wondering. I have so many questions. Um, I'm wondering uh, is is there a is there a gender ratio here? Is it mostly male staff that initially tend to to sign up for the training and, and, and the women kind of shy away from it, or has there been equal ratio? You know, that's, that's a great question. We have pretty much equal, equal, which has signed up for the training program uh, that has requested this training. Now, in reality, we probably see about, about 30 to 40% female that actually come through the training uh, the rest are male, and I don't know what the reason is for the slight difference in the number who sign up and the ones who actually participate in the training. But gender plays no difference in this whatsoever. And a great example is, is a young, uh, she is actually a eighth grade history teacher who was in the class that we just completed yesterday here in northern Ohio. Uh, this young woman, you know, that's the awesome thing about these teachers is you look at any other animal in the animal kingdom and you know, any any animal will die for their own young, protecting their own young. These teachers and staff, they're not dying protecting their own kids. They're dying protecting your kids and my kids and our grandkids and our neighbors' kids. That is awesome, and these teachers take that responsibility seriously. In fact, she said, she said, I we have this discussion in my junior high class, and I've told my students. I will take a bullet, and I will die if it means one of you can get out of this building. If you've got teachers who are wow. going to go up there and stand in front of these killers, we've got to give them every tool, every training, every option we can so they get to go home to their families at the end of the night, letting them become another victim and another death simply so one of our kids can can live is a a huge disservice to these dedicated teachers and staff we have out there. Mm-hmm. What do they tend to say? I mean, it, it sounds like it's very positive after after they complete the training, whether it's the level one or, or further ones. The the teachers that have signed up that may have been very apprehensive, but for whatever reason, and then maybe you could tell us what the, the surge of, of pop of popularity maybe after a few a couple of them go through it, and then everyone wants to sign sure. on. Then the the type of comments that they have had you know, um, prior to the training and then afterwards? You know, we have every bit of the teachers that have came through this. The general comment is this, this, this training changed my life. She said this, this now gives me an option so that I have the confidence and I have the skills and I now have the ability to make a difference. Beforehand, they're helpless. They know that – and it's a shame that you have to say when this comes to their school – 
because I used to argue with the media, it's coming to Ohio, it's coming to Ohio. We had Success Tech University, and I believe that was 2009. We had Chardon High School in 2012. We just had Madison High School not ten and a half miles from where I live, and children that I teach in my Sunday school class were in this school where this killer started shooting. But again, Madison High School worked perfectly. They had a school resource officer who was able to enter that cafeteria nine seconds after the first shot, and there were no casualties in this event. There were four injuries, but the killer was forced to stop killing and get out of that building because there was immediate response. The school staff the same way. I now know I can make a difference, and I am empowered to make a difference. We've seen, we have seen teachers that have came through this program that have simply said afterwards, said, this is unbelievable training. I had one that came up to me and said, I'm sorry for wasting your money, but I don't think I could actually carry a firearm and consider having to shoot one of the students that I know. And that is something they have to realize too many of these events are happening inside of the schools. But, you know, we said to her, said, listen, you're not wasting our money. Do you now know how to identify these people ahead of time? Do you now have medical skills that you can start rendering aid and helping these people ahead of time? Right, so they can help in another way. Exactly. And she said, yeah, I do. We were like, we didn't waste your money. That's exactly what we want. We're empowering you to make a difference while you're waiting on the outside help. She's like, thank you. That makes me feel so much better because I was upset that I couldn't do this. We're like, no, there, this is not for everybody. The unfortunate reality is every time you mention firearms in school, the one person you would never want to be a part of this program is the first thing that pops to mind. And you probably just thought of one of your teachers you would never want to have a firearm in your school. If you stop for a second, you will see that you have the Mary Sherlock's and the Don Huxprungs and the uh, Mr. Franklin's and all of these other teachers who go stand between these murderers and these kids. They're in every school, and they're going there on event day, and we've got to give them other options besides becoming victims. Mm-hmm. Well, in terms of qualifying for this today, for example, I know I have spastic cerebral palsy. I had some physical challenges. Um, I, you know, I could probably do some of the other things. I don't know. Does it require a, a, a certain level of agility, strength for the guns, being able to run? Um, you have to be in excellent health. Do they do an, another, like, I mean, teachers supposedly have these background checks before they are hired. What are, I mean, are those kinds of things considered before and is it the school board that helps decide? Is it the principal that helps you know, decide in Ohio who it is, they're going to pick? The, yeah, the school board has the ultimate decision. Most in Ohio, the school board authorizes an administrative panel, their superintendent, their principals, whoever they trust to actually implement this program and decide who is going to be in. And we've heard those questions before. You know, well, should I have – uh, psychological exams done for the people participating in this program. And, you know, that's a valid question, but, you know, you also have to look at it. Who is going to be able to tell more about your staff? You who work with them five days a week, week after week, or somebody who comes in for a two-hour psychological interview? Who is going to have the better understanding of this? Who is going to know when the staff member is having family problems or having other problems, and we may need to remove them out of the program while they deal with these problems. And that's where the local control is very important on this. They know the staff who are are willing 
competent and they know the ones who are already going to go stand between these murderers and these kids. And those are the ones the school boards are saying, we're going to authorize you to do this. We're going to get you this training and we're going to give you some option besides dying. And we're going to let you have the tools and training you need. So that's a huge part of it. As far as the physical skills, again, firearm skills can be learned by anybody. They are a huge benefit to elderly, to disabled, to people with physical limitations because, again, uh, the unfortunate reality is criminals do not like a fight. They look for the easiest victims, and that's why, why firearms are a great benefit and are used many more times to keep lives whole and to protect people than they are ever used to take lives. And so while there is a base level of proficiency we, we require for this training simply because the environment they're in, these kids are too precious to not have greatly above average firearms handling skills and abilities to participate in this program. Okay. Um, with regard, I know we just very recently, because uh, I work for state government and we have, we're now under a bigger umbrella agency. We had some uh, building modifications and we did have a basic active shooter training and I did a blog on it. And I'm wondering from that perspective, um, they related to us, and I don't know if this is part of it, should you ever try to negotiate with the perpetrator in, you know, or is this just let's take them down? Is that true? You should never try, is, even with their training. Is If somebody is in there murdering people, you have no option but to stop that person from murdering people. And the unfortunate reality is, and the way that this plays out too many times, is occasionally, yes, some of these staff have no option but to say, please, little Johnny, stop this. Think about what you're doing. That's the only option that they have. If they can stop these people who have already committed murder and committed and shown their propensity for violence, you have to stop that immediately. And we instruct our staff, if they are actively murdering people, you should not tell them to stop. You should not draw attention to you. You should simply end the killing immediately. And that's simply for these school staff safety. Action versus reaction every time. As soon as I make them aware that I'm there as a threat, I have all of their attention on me. And if I get injured or killed, I can no longer stop him from doing additional damage. And by me verbalizing with somebody who is in the act of actively killing people, I now have possibly caused more death and more injury because I can't stop him once I have given him a chance to injure or kill me. And that's just the blunt reality of how these situations work. And that's quite a responsibility that people are taking on, but it's, you know, you know their dedication. I mean, when people went to school years ago to become a teacher, I'm betting that they never, ever thought that it would evolve to this or, you know, working in a nightclub or whatever. So this is just yep. mind-boggling that it, that it would come to this. But I think it, it requires, a, you know, a very trained, reasonable program it, like it you're is, saying. It is absurd we have to look at doing this, but that is the world we live in. And our foundation president, Mr. Jim Irvine, is a professional airline pilot that flies professionally uh, – airplanes internationally and domestically, and he relates to every one of these teachers. He said, 25 years ago when I got my pilot license and started flying, he said, 
I never imagined we would be putting guns in the hands of pilots. He said, but 9-11, I, before that, I never imagined people coming in, killing my coworkers, killing the people I am legally and morally responsible for. But 9-11 changed that. We now have armed pilots in the planes, the ones that are willing, that are competent, that are trained. We give them firearms, and we put them in the planes. The same thing with the school staff. When they started teaching, they never imagined they would be to this point. But they also never imagined that such as a day of Sandy Hook would come where somebody would come into a school system, kill their coworkers, kill the kids they are responsible for, and they are educated enough and they are uh, honest enough to say it's not – you can no longer say it's always going to happen someplace else because that is – a negligent attitude. If you're saying I'm checking all the boxes, it's always happening someplace else, you are costing lives. Right. Wow. Um, I have been in the company of many of the uh, Ohio uh, teachers and people in victim services when you had the NOVA conference a couple of years ago, and I know that your attorney general is very innovative and has done a lot with domestic violence, et cetera. So I'm wondering, are they – trying to partner with you in going to other states or legislatures or school boards to try to convince them to adopt? Because, again, Ohio seems to be the model with this, and I would think um, I would think that they would be a, a good partner in helping you to promote this. You know, the Ohio Attorney General, uh, Mr. Mike DeWine right now is our Attorney General, yes. has been been fantastic on this issue as well as a lot of other crime-related issues and from the victim and domestic violence. He actually gets it. The 200 million honest gun owners out there are not the problem. It is a small subset of the criminal community who is causing a lot of this violent crime. He has worked very well with this program. There is some some unclear stuff in the Ohio law which relates to hiring in security people for – in schools and the amount of training that are required if if security is what they're hired in for and how this would relate to a school board authorizing uh, school staff to carry firearms. And he was very out front. He wrote an open letter to us and to every school system which said in a voluntary program, the school board has the authority to authorize anyone they want to carry a firearm in there. As long as they are not making it a requirement of their employment or they are not hired in specifically as security, then it is an entire voluntary program, and the school board has the say-so to do that. So we we thank him for looking at that and making that clarification for us. Well, I would imagine, would you, uh, just to let you know, we have about five minutes left of our show. I'm sure we could okay. do one. Maybe we could do another <laughs> another follow-up show a little bit down the line if you would be willing because, you know, this I, is just... I would um, talk about this all day if you wanted. <laughs> well, great. Um, well, but with regard to... I will to, mention... I if, to, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, we do have openings still for our training. If anyone is in the Ohio area and would like to talk about attending this training as a school system yep. or even if they sure. are would like to come in and view the training as a school administrator to see a or police officer to see what this is like they can get a hold of me and we will gladly uh, let them come in and see what it is we're actually doing here in Ohio. Yeah, let's let's give um you know some of your contact information for that. Sure. They can simply go to the website at fastersaveslives.org 
There is a contact form on there. There is resources on there that they can use. Uh, they uh, they can. Uh, uh, I think that you posted my my contact information, my cell phone, email. They can call me, email me. We'd be glad to talk to any of them. Mhm. Um, now, because I a big part of what I do is working with homicide survivors and missing persons and whatnot. I'm wondering, do you consult with um, uh, crime victims, homicide survivors, uh, and, and for those that, who have been exposed to this prior to the show in, in Ohio, how have they, they reacted to this? You know, that that is one area we have not seen a lot of feedback in. It is, you know, kind of unfortunate because there is a lot of, there's a lot of devastation that the media does not show beyond these horrific acts when they happen. Uh, our president related to us a story that he was flying with a co-pilot uh, two weeks ago who had mentioned that the Aurora, Colorado shooting, that one of his daughter's best friends was murdered in this, was the one murdered in this school shooting. And the effects that it still has on her, but not only her, the other school kids that are in there. You know, it's been several years since this is happening. These were straight-A students who are now reaching the college age. They're dealing with survivor guilt. What was once straight-A students are now flunking out of college. And, you know, we've got to find a way to get not only the direct people directly affected, but everybody in the communities that are affected by this, the help that they need, and the strength that they need to, to move beyond these horrific situations. And, and that's something we would love to talk to anybody about on things that we can put in place to, to make this part of the program. Well, I, yeah, I would definitely ad advise that. And um, I work with a lot of very stellar nonprofits who do all of this, you know, purely as a, uh, you know, on a volunteer basis. And those are the, those are the people we need to talk to as well. And I, you know, I just have to say that I really, I really commend you. We've got about a minute and a half or so, um, and um, I'm sure this is going to be, you know, a very popular thing um, to listen to later on. What is? Um, do you have to get extra, lots of extra insurance for your for your your school board, your board of education, if you take this on? I mean, they are certainly able to do that. There are several insurance companies here in Ohio because that's always an issue we hear while well, the insurance rates will go up. No, that's not true. Insurance companies understand they are doing everything they can to make these kids safe. If they're willing to go to this level, the other choices they're making well before this are making these the safest schools in Ohio. And insurance companies are rating this in and reducing their rates. So some of that is, is an issue. You also have to look at it this way. If a if a student is, uh, two students are fighting and a teacher breaks up this fight and one of these kids is accidentally injured, that student, that teacher is protected from that immunity because, again, they were preventing more damage and more death from occurring. And simply using a firearm to stop the most horrific type of violence, and that's the only time these come into play, falls in that same category. Okay. Well, that's very, very good information. So, Joe, unfortunately, we have to wrap up our, our hour, but I'm hoping we can do something um, a little bit down the line. So I thank you so much. We're going to try to circulate this as much as possible, and I commend you for, for doing this um, 
great job, and thank you for helping to save lives, not only in schools but in other venues. And I, I hope that I hope that this grows. I sincerely do. So we'll sign off for today. Thank you, everyone, for um, for listening to Shattered Lives Radio, and be sure to tune in um, next week. Good. Uh, Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be. Thank you so much, Joe. Pleasure. You have a great day. Okay, you you too. Bye-bye. Bye.